Welcome everyone, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Um, I will be your host for all these 45 minutes with Neha. And today we're, jo we're joined by Russ Goodwin, uh, an AI researcher and artist that is using AI to write poem. And he made amazing work and that is going to, and we're going to discuss about that today with him. So, hey Russ, uh, it's, it's amazing to have you today here. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, uh, thanks for having me, Jules and Miha. Uh, it's really nice to be here talking about my work. Um, I'm Ross Goodwin. Uh, like you said, uh, you got my title pretty much right. Yeah, AI artist, uh, researcher, creative technologist. It's all sort of uh, goes with the territory. Uh, but I work with uh, artificial neural networks in the context of creative writing, uh, in particular, uh, projects like Word Camera, Sunspring, Please Feed the Lions um, have all involved uh, long short-term memory recurrent neural networks that I've trained on various corpora of modern and uh, older uh, poetry and prose. Um, and they've, they've allowed for some sort of augmented uh, human creativity or augmented human experience. It's not about replacing human creativity so much as it is about augmenting it and putting it into new contexts and new forms uh, mediated by the technology. So uh, that might be a little too much for an introduction, but that's, I guess, uh, you know, me in a nutshell um, in terms of my work. No, it's, it's, it's really good because something that I've noticed in your work, uh, we'll, we'll go, we'll talk about that later, about your vision, about AI and human creativity together. It's really interesting. Um, I was thinking about starting that podcast on talking about uh, one of your artworks that I really love, Automation on the Road. Uh, could you briefly explain this project for audience and its and the story behind it? How did you came to uh, such a crazy and good idea like that? Well, thank you very much, first of all. Um, the, 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 the short documentary film is called Automatic on the Road. And um, that's basically the, the documentation for the project. The book I published is called One the Road, the number one, the road, which is sort of a play on on the road because one means on in a computer. And the project, the working title for the project when we were doing it was a word car. Um, so I guess the inspiration for that project came from a lot of different places. Um, first and foremost, the idea of writing with alternative instruments. Like how can the machine help us write with instruments that we might not be able to write with otherwise. Word camera was about writing with a camera. I also built like a clock and a compass that wrote with time and location respectively. So that all fed into this car idea where it was about writing with the car using those inputs, location, imagery, time, and uh, conversation inside the car, um, which I added on among, which was, which was the new thing that added along with the actual road trip journey and the way the output was presented. Uh, but yeah, I was also inspired by projects like The Merry Pranksters, Ken Kesey in the 1960s counterculture, and On the Road obviously was a huge inspiration. Just the, the idea of the American literary road trip sort of fed into uh, the context of uh, driving from New York to New Orleans, which was a route that Jack Kerouac uh, took on, during On the Road. And, um, or one of the many routes he, he did. Um, not that I'm super reverent of beat literature or beat era um, 
output. It's, it's, it's more that um, I think those are really important cultural touchstones when we're talking about modernism and uh, the history of uh, sort of American artwork and American literature. Um, and I think that when we're talking about what's next for literature, what's next for poetry, um, it's really clear to me that part of what's next is going to be mediated by algorithms in some way, whether that's the uh, type of algorithms I use or the type of algorithms Google uses to feed you content or whoever. Um, poetry, literature, are, are these are going to be inexorably uh, linked to uh, technology. Um, art has always been technology, an expression of technology, whether that's with a paintbrush, um, unless you're painting with your hands. Uh, you know, and even then we're talking about sophisticated mechanisms um, of drawing and interpretation and realization of imagery. So, yeah, I mean, I think that um, that's probably an overly long answer to your question. And I'm probably getting away from the point, which was mostly that uh, won the road uh, that that project was about um, uh, automation and poetry and augmentation of human driving uh, by allowing a journey to become a story. Right? Um, I have one question. Why has you yeah. chosen poetry or literature or writing media as a form of artwork to create artworks along with AI and not any other of well, I'm leaning into my strong suits. I used to be a ghostwriter before I was uh, before I learned to code. Um, you both seem very young, which is great. I'm really glad that young people are doing stuff like this. Um, but I've had two two careers really so far in my life, and one the first one was writing, and that was really my first love and my first passion. And so when I learned to code, I immediately gravitated toward natural language processing and natural language generation as just the logical extensions of those two interests combined. And what do you, because I think language in AI is a very interesting concept, just human language and AI language, what do you see the intersections between those two when creating artwork? You say, what do you see the difference being? Yeah, the intersection and just the interesting for the intersection yeah of human language and ai language hmm that's a good question um so i think it can take a lot of forms and i think that's a question that's still being determined i, I don't think there's one answer at all um there are various models of human ai interaction or human computer interaction as a whole field around built around that uh topic in particular and um, researchers in the past have focused on models like AI as collaborator versus AI as creator. Uh, but I think that actually the uh, possibilities are a lot richer and more uh, of a gradient than discrete values. There's various ways in which you can use AI to create a lot of material that you, that you can then edit or chip away at like a block of marble, uh, you know, subtractive, turning an additive task or uh, 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 a um, turning an additive task into a subtractive one, so to speak, uh, where rather than producing a manuscript uh, line by line, you might have the AI write five or 10 or a hundred or a thousand pages for you and pick the best ones and then edit those. 
Um, but that, you know, is um, the, the, there, there's that. And then there, then you could be literally writing word by word or line by line with the computer where, uh, you know, you're it's suggesting words or suggesting lines as you go. Um, or, you know, you can have a fully automated system uh, tied to uh, an activity that's not traditionally producing writing like camera or a car driving. Um, and, and those are just a fraction of the possibilities that are possible that, that are out there. I, I think that those are the main ones that I've explored personally, but I've seen much more from the community that does this type of work. And I think that there are just many more possibilities out there that have yet to be explored. Um, that's one of the exciting things about working with code as a creative media is that I think it's probably the most unknown, most unexplored creative medium we still have. Um, there's a lot that just hasn't been done yet. With, uh, with your project, uh, when you created the song Chain Tripping with the Yatch band, uh, the process was more like uh, creating a massive block of text using here and then uh, subtracting and adding. Yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't even massive. I think I sent them like twenty five songs or twenty songs, and they picked like the ten that they liked or the or the eight that they liked, and then and then subtractively edited the lyrics. Um, so yeah, it was horrible, so to speak. But it was a very small block it chipped away at uh, a little bit, but in really effective ways. Um, so that that collaboration was really fun because it was one in which, like Sunspring, like the whole was a lot greater than the sum of its parts. Um, it was really wonderful working with Yacht and uh, Claire and Jana, and then the band as a whole, or just, just become really good friends over the past couple of years. But what does this addition or subtraction, uh, when AI creates anything and then human makes touches on it, additive or subtractive, what does it uh, reflect about the meaning of the artwork? Like, hmm. I think it reflects this um, dissonance that we have in the culture between, in terms of meaning, because there's there's two meanings in any artwork there's the intended meaning that the artist has or the writer has and there's the inferred meaning that the audience absorbs from the work right yeah i think that ai augmentation with writing and artwork it sort of lays that distinction bare uh because we're all of a sudden confronted with the difference between text that has no objective meaning and the audience's clear interpretation of a clear meaning. Um, th there's lots of um, scholarly work about meaning and interpretation, but me meaning is not um, intent. Meaning is interpretation, right? I, I mean, mm -hmm. fundamental. Um, and that's not to say that the intentionality of the artist isn't important. It certainly is. I think an artist is doing a good job when their intentionality aligns with the uh, inferred meaning of the audience or the uh, interpretation of the audience. Um, but then in that sense, AI has no intention. Do you think it has an intention or AI artwork has an intention? Yeah, I think the inventor is the operator of the machine. I don't think it's good to attribute anything to the algorithm other than 
its manipulation of data and, and, and code points. Um, you know, an and, and artificial neural network is like an algorithm simulator. And ultimately what you're doing is you're like um, taking this chaotic mess of numbers and sort of whittling it down into uh, an algorithm that can write text letter by letter or word by word. And what that means for who is the artist or who is the creator, I think doesn't change much from a human writing text. It's still the person operating the machine. Uh, and, and the people who wrote the corpus, the training material. So it's sort of um, conjuring spirits of whoever wrote the material that the AI is being trained on. But the AI itself, um, I wouldn't even refer to it as an entity all the time. I think unless the artist chooses to make the AI into an entity, like, you know, like Sophia or, you know, some of the weirder projects out there, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be. It can just be a sort of ethereal um, collaborator. And I think that's probably its most uh, effective form in my experience. In the documentary, um, you're saying that your car that, were, that was gathering data um, was an entity. You said that it wasn't alive. Yeah, no, I, I, said, I said it wasn't an entity. It's funny that you remember that, yeah. Um, yeah, and that was, but I think that was, a, that was a deliberate choice on my part to like put it in the context of the car and the car became the entity, right? So like that was my, I'm still the creator of the entity. You know, it's not, yeah, it's course. not, it's not a um, independent, exist, independently existing thing. Um, so it, it so, so much as it, you know, it requires energy and it requires maintenance and it requires my time operating it uh, and my time designing it in, in the first place. But yeah, you're right. I, I, well, I guess what I was saying is it doesn't have to be an entity. You don't have to like give it a name and like put it in a human shaped thing and, um, you know, do all the things that sci-fi books end up doing with AI because sci-fi is supposed to mirror reality. I mean, in, in sci-fi AI usually represents working class humans and it's a lot about a lot of sci-fi is about it's, it's sort of a veiled uh, metaphor for like labor struggles and we shouldn't like cheapen that by assuming that's actually a preferred vision for the technology um, it's almost an insult to sci-fi writing actually I think yeah the I think what is really interesting with AI that it, it has like in public opinion it has a very thrilling link to sci-fi representation which I think is quite limiting and I think you think the same because your idea of collaborative work around AI and humans is really interesting because I personally think that technology is like increasing humans capabilities, but a lot of people don't see it like that. Right. Um, are you trying to demonstrate, how can you with your work demonstrate that AI and human work is something that is doable and that that is going to happen in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think that is one of the things I'm trying to demonstrate with my work. I think more, I, but, but less than like demonstrate that specific thing, because I, I, I do agree with you that I think the potential for AI to to increase human capacities is greater than the potential for it to like limit it in some way. 
that's not to say that it won't displace certain workforces like truck drivers or taxi drivers, you know, for example, but like those jobs go elsewhere. They become engineering jobs for the self-driving car company, um, which is, a, which is a, a labor market dynamic that I think needs to be addressed in political ways and in like, you know, retraining workforce or, or whatever needs to happen for, for the, whatever technology is moving forward. But, but again, I, I, I don't want to cheapen that. I actually want to encourage that discussion. Um, so I think it's about encouraging the discussion. Cause I think, I think like you, like, like you pointed out, most people in the public who are not engineers are not, um, directly engaged with the technology on a daily basis or who are only engaged with it through their phones um, sort of are fearful of AI or, or think that it's going to displace human workers too much or that it will replace us entirely. And I think that I'm trying to definitely start a conversation amongst those people about, well, is that all it's going to do? Uh, you know, it might actually have this augmentative capacity that outweighs uh, its capacity to replace or displace human workers. Um, it might have these things that you might find interesting in particular, given what you do. Um, and, and, I, and I really want to speak directly to people who are in creative professions or who find themselves um, working creatively in any capacity, whatever they're doing, because a lot of fields are creative, even if they're not recognized that way. Um, you know, uh, just to stoke imagination. So I think that's more of my goal than to have a specific message, so to speak. How would you define creativity? I think it's sort of useless to define creativity. I, my, 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 there's a lot of like competing definitions. My favorite one is Margaret Bowden's. And, and she has a whole paper on that called Creativity in a Nutshell. There's no simple definition though that's like worth trying to uh, me trying to uh, completely uh, define in this podcast. I, I think it's like a 20 page definition at the shortest. Um, so I'd recommend Creativity in a Nutshell by Margaret Bowden, who's a professor at Oxford. Um, she's still alive actually, she's like 90. And I had the honor of speaking alongside her a few years back in Berlin. Um, so she's a really interesting lady um, who has uh, written for years on the subject of creativity and uh, computation uh, and, and modeling creativity with computers, uh, much like Douglas Hofstadter in the US. That's very interesting. So do you think we're able to model creativity with computers? I think so. I think that's pretty well established. Like, I think we can model it for sure. Um, whether we can achieve creativity in every case and in every field at this point is sort of questionable. I think that that's possible in the future, that computers will be universally recognized as creative forces. I think right now we're sort of on the cusp of that, though. Um, we're not quite there yet, but we're close. And that's what interests me uh, as an artist in exploring these topics is the sort of cuspy nature of the place we're in right now, the way that it seems like it could swing either way, both you know, toward an AI-enabled future or against one. Um, the culture has a lot of ways of responding to things it does and doesn't like. And so far it's embraced certain forms of AI and rejected others. So it's really a question of like, uh, a matter of time and a question of what people, what kind of future people actually want to see. Um, 
but I think also there are market forces driving certain innovations that might um, represent, you know, pitfalls in the future, like human-shaped re realizations of AI. I think human-shaped AI is great for prosthetic limbs and for, um, you know, medical applications, but uh, I think overall, like projects like Sophia and the new Tesla robot and Boston Dynamics for a while there, it, it just shows a limited imagination of what the technology could, um, of what form the technology could take. I, I, I think um, I, there are other possible forms that can navigate the world. Um, although, you know, I, I haven't seen as much like Atlas robots lately, or even Sophia has sort of died down a little bit. So I think that that is the direction things are moving is towards like less human shaped AI, more like embedded AI. Um, but I'm getting away from the original question. So why don't you ask another one? <laughs> well, yeah, but about Sophia, um, I think, you know, but lots of people, I mean, every interview that she's done was like scripted by a human, actually. There is yeah, a... more or less. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read like things and it's, it's kind of a problem because people thought that AI was at this level. I think today with like GPT-3, we could reach this type of level, but, but back in the days, it was like in 2017, 2016, I think. You're right that it's improved a lot in the last like, three or four years. Yeah. And to get back on creativity, because it's something that, that I think, I mean, that I'm not really knowledgeable about, and it will be interesting to have your view as an artist. For me, creativity is basically just taking a lot of ideas, mixing them together and, and passing it through your brain and adding a meaning on top of it. It's So I would say that's, that's one type of creativity. Okay. So, so, so the, what you're talking about is Margaret Bowden would call combinatory creativity, where you're combining things to make something new. She also has, she also defines two other types. <laughs> so, and that's just her definition. So she defines two other types. The two other types she defines, if I remember correctly, are, um, uh, one of them is, uh, 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 oh God. Okay, one, I, I'm forgetting the names, but I'll, I'll sort of describe them. So, so, so there's combinatory creativity where you're combining things to make something new. There's, um, another type where you are establishing new rules within an established system to make something new. And the third type is when you're expanding the boundaries of an established system to make something new. I think she calls the third type transcendental, but I can't remember what the second type is called. But the point is that there are like, even within that framework, there are multiple, there are, there are, there are different extra versions of that. Um, but sorry, go ahead. What else were you asking? I was asking that uh, it's it's interesting because I think AI is able to mix a bunch of data together. We're like pretty all able to agree on that. But the thing that I think is missing right now is how to add meaning on top of it. Because the thing that mixing random, I mean, for example, if you look at music, AI is today able, I mean, today's AI is able to create pretty good music, I think, in, in, some, in some sense. But it's questioning the goal of music. Is it to pass yeah. a message? Is it to feel a human's emotion, or is it just to 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 just like just enjoy something nice? Do we want like um, communication through the music? Hmm. So it's questioning the role of the meaning behind it. 
because we can because you were saying that AI is actually a, going to increase people's ability to create art and that you're going to have an AI and human interaction. And I agree with that. But if you're thinking in a few years, it might be possible that an AI is able to analyze like the sound of the um, of, around you, the emotion that you send uh, in the message that you sent to, to your last friend and able to know that you just came back to work. And based on that, an AI could definitely just create a song just relax you, just like make you happy. Uh, you could perfectly design song based on a lot of data that an AI could have. Mm-hmm. And this would just replace a lot of artists that we're currently listening to. Uh, what's, what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that what you're describing is like a product, right? So like what you're describing is a product in a, in a particular version of what people think of as like the perfect song. Like you get to work and you just got a message from your friend, like you said, and you, you know, it's sunny outside. So the AI writes the perfect song for you. The truth is that there is no perfect song, right? And there is no perfect book. There's no perfect poem. Um, the perfection is something that only exists in a computer's ideation of like what it's trying to achieve like optimization is only useful to a certain point at a certain point we enter the realm of what scientists call constructive machine learning sometimes so constructive machine learning is where there's no particular like solution right you can't solve a novel i mean you can maybe for like if you know you want a mystery novel and one with three characters and one that you know where it takes place in denmark or whatever right maybe you have constraints that you have input to a machine in order to uh, solve, but at that point you're writing the novel through your constraints and through whatever the machine is trained on. So, in a way, like in that situation where the, the where the machine is writing music for you that's perfect around your day, um, you know, you're the author. You you living your life becomes the creative component, um, and whether you enjoy the music is sort of a question of how good the product is at that point. And in terms of it displacing you know, musicians, maybe it displaces a few bad ones, but you'll still have your favorite songs. And also, you know, it creates a whole slew of jobs that whatever company creates that product um, for musicians, probably. Uh, so it's sort of hard to see it eliminating anyone's music job, really, uh, in the whole. It probably, if anything, creates music jobs for people at that company that's making that product. That's, that's really interesting. And I was wondering, do you see art more as an introspection tool for the public, for the person watching or interacting with the art, or as a communication tool? And if you see that as a communication tool, how can AI increase it? I don't really see art as being a tool at all. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, no, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. So, so, I mean, art can be a communication tool. Art can be a tool for a lot of different things, but it doesn't have to be, um, you know, art can just exist for its own sake and can be nice to look at for its own sake. Um, but introspection tool for the audience, introspection tool for the artist, uh, you know, in some cases, uh, introspection tool, it, it always starts as an introspection tool for the artist, probably. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it, it's, it's multifaceted um, and there's no one way to define art. My favorite definition is it's just a joke you take really seriously. 
I can agree with that because um, I mean I'm I'm a pretty scientific person, but you, sometimes uh, I was just I was just thinking I, I just have crazy ideas, and I'm like the the cool thing with that is that you can do crazy ideas with no purpose or with no like real real purpose and i think it's right. something that is defining like the level i mean i think we can define the level of atmos of advancement of a society based on how much art you have because the more sure. art you have the, the most people are able to just do whatever they like even if it has no purpose so that's what i'm saying i do think art should have a purpose I, in my case i think art I want to make art that provokes imagination and discussion about AI and ethics of AI. Mm, yeah. Um, so, so I think art that does that provokes nothing is sort of useless. Art with no audience that provokes nothing is even more useless. But like art, you know, that provokes something in an audience of some size, I think, always has a purpose for someone, um, even if it's only the artist. Um, I, I, I think that. Uh, yeah, you know, bad art probably has no purpose, but usually good art has some purpose, at least. Yeah, sorry, I meant by purpose. I meant no, like, economical purpose or no, like, basic purpose. It doesn't need sure, to... Sure, sure, yeah, like a tool, like, a, a, like an economic utility. Yeah, I see what you're saying, exactly. yeah. So, when, when you're, like, picturing... Yeah, yeah sorry. Um, I was wondering, when you're like picturing uh, an advanced society with like a lot of AI and, and automation in the future, what do you see? Um, it's really hard to say. And if I knew everything, I wouldn't give away all my ideas in the podcast um, because <laughs> you know, it's sort of like... I promise you we'll, we'll keep it secret. <laughs> nobody will know. Well, I think actually people should be more afraid of nobody finding out about their ideas than people stealing them, to be honest. Um, that's sort of my philosophy on that. I, I think you should be much more afraid of nobody ever hearing your ideas. Um, cause otherwise you'll never make them better. Um, but I, I, what I see is sort of like, uh, what I, what I hope exists is AI that doesn't cheapen human interaction that still encourages us to value each other. And that, you know, maybe universal basic income is something we'll need at some point. Um, I, if it displaces too many jobs um, in certain areas or in a way that's too fast for people to keep up with, um, universal basic income. I mean, that's sort of like the catch-all probably, I hope, exists alongside whatever future we imagine with AI. But I hope it's a future in which people don't have to work as much, um, you know, and, and people can uh, achieve uh, things that are beyond their capacity without AI. Um, and sort of reach beyond their innate capacities. Um, that's that's my overall hope. As we are coming to the end, um, could you tell us uh, any writing piece or any artwork that you created which made you most happy? That I created or that someone else created? You. Oh, um, probably my clock which has been running for a long time. It's just rossgoodwin.com slash clock. Uh, it's just a clock made of Project Gutenberg. Uh, you can look at it in your own time. But that one makes me happy because it's hosted for free and it just runs and I don't have to think about it. And it's a lovely little clock. And I look at it sometimes and like to read it. So that one makes me the most happy um, just because it's still up. It's one of my earliest pieces. It's been up for like eight years. Yeah, 
it seems it seems really cool. I w we'll share the link. Cool. I've I've also read about. I mean, I've also tried one one of your project. It's sanitizer. Oh yeah, that's a really old one. That was when yeah. I was first learning the code, so it's pretty messy. But um, it's still it still probably works in some ways. I don't know if it still works though. I've, I haven't been able to make to make it work, but uh, <laughs> the, it's like written in Python too, using a bunch of old libraries, so it's not worth running. Um, maybe I'll release a new version of it. Some of my code probably still works from those days. It needs to be updated for Python three. Okay. Yeah, oh, it's Python 2.7. That might be weird. Yep. Yeah, try in Python 2.7. might work. Okay, okay. Because the um, I found like the idea really, really cool. And so I, I, I was wondering if you were thinking about updating the code. So. That's one of my first, that was one of my first projects. Not my first one, yeah. What anyway, I got to take my dog out soon. But uh, what, do you have any, a few, like maybe a last question or two more questions? Yeah, I have, um, I have a last question. Uh, what's your favorite artist ever? Oh, my favorite artist ever? Just one? Um, probably my aunt, Annie Leibowitz. Um, she was, she's just been such an inspiration on me over the years. And like, uh, it's just incredible to see her success and her fame and just, you know, what she's accomplished in her life. Um, you know, she taught me how to take photos when I was a kid. And so, and she's always been an example to me as an artist. So uh, yeah, Annie Leibowitz, that's my favorite. Okay, thank you. Well, I think uh, everyone will go in and, and check this out. And I have one little question that is kind of sure. useless and not, and not useless. I always, I'm always asking that to a researcher. For you, uh, if you had to run a prediction, when will you see AGI coming? It's like quite. I mean, doesn't it already exist? Like, kind of. It's just sort of a. I think it's more of a design problem than a computational problem. I'll put it that way. So okay. I think I, th I think it exists. I think the limit is our imagination to design it right now. I think we have all the components. I think it's just you know a kind of a design imagination problem. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. And do you think this AGI will be able to create better art than humans? No, because art fundamentally reflects the human experience. The humans, I think, will always prefer human-made art or art that has a human role. Um, art, yeah, it's, like I said, fundamental representation of the human experience. Otherwise, it's not very good art. I think, too. Well, thank you. It was amazing having you for this podcast. I, I think, yeah, thanks uh, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's well, we got really interesting insights. The discussion was like really interesting. It's really interesting to see how you can link AI and and art, and it's raising a lot of interesting philosophical and ethical questions. And yeah, it it was really really cool having you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. -bye.